At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 618th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm, and I'm here with Bill McDormand. Welcome, Bill. Hello, Greg. Nice to be here, as always. Always fun, man. Thank you for once again making this available to our listeners and everybody else out there. Yeah, it's getting quite, you're getting quite a few downloads now, aren't you, on the podcast part of this? Yeah. Yeah, that's the cool thing about this. We do a uh, the live event, and usually we get what fifty to one hundred people on the live event, and then we can easily get three to four thousand listens over the course of the next six eight weeks after we release it. And so tonight's podcast will be released next month on the day that we have the seed chat. So that's, wow. that's how that works. So yeah, easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, we save them for them for a month, and so you can get the. You can get the podcast in the morning and the live seed chat at night if you want. Yeah. So we love Belle. Thank you, Belle. Uh, She always sends us over this great clip of what we're talking about tonight. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the bullets here and then we'll jump in. So she said, everybody loves wildflowers. Wildflowers and flowers in general are necessary for insects, bees, and hummingbirds. They're also important for our mental health and garden aesthetics. Properly placed wildflowers can decrease insect infestation, increase pollination in our vegetables, and allow us other opportunities for artful expression, even offering dyes for fibers. Flower arrangements brighten our homes and our dispositions. Tonight, we're going to learn how to incorporate wildflowers in our gardens and landscapes, find out why certified organic wildflower seed is virtually non-existent, and how problematic wildflower seed industry can be. Also, Bill will teach you the tricks of the trade for wild crafting. That means harvesting in the trade, wild seeds in your own region. Yeah, how appropriate. This is uh, pollinator week. It is pollinator week. And thanks for bringing that up. You actually did a book a while back, maybe a long while back, right? Right. A book called Wildflower Handbook. And We'll talk about this toward the end, but if you buy a seed bundle through Great American Seed Up, Great American Seed Up is a company that we own and are are sponsored tonight. We will give you a copy of Bill's great wildflower handbook that is in full color. It's a PDF and it's amazing. So we'll talk about that toward the end. Sounds good. Wildflowers. One of the curious things, Bill, about wildflowers is when we do seed school online, yeah. that is the most attended 
and most heavily watched class. What's up with that? <laughs> well, I think what Bell wrote is is true. Everybody loves wildflowers. I think yeah. that they, you know, they fill a, a part in us that vegetable gardening fills. You know, we get to mm -hmm. grow something, we see all the abundance and the beauty out of it. But there's something really special about the beauty part, and wildflowers, you know, you know, transcend on that level. They can yeah. be so incredibly beautiful, and I think we need that. Yeah. You know, I think that's what we're, uh, we've seen over the last few decades. You know, there's another thing that's happening is that, you know, as people have learned to change their diets, and there's so many people that, have, are, that are doing that now. In fact, you know, I read the National Gardening Survey, and there were 6 million new gardeners. This was a couple of years ago before COVID even. Wow. In one year, we saw a spike of 6 million new gardeners oh, wow. in a national survey, and they were millennials. They weren't uh, the people that normally garden. And good. when asked what what they were doing, they said, we want organic food and we, and we can't afford it. And we want to help the planet. Those were the mm -hmm. two reasons given for 6 million new gardeners. And so that's really a hopeful sign, I think, because that's exactly, I think, how to do that. Yeah. But one of the things I've learned is that those people then, you know, are, are, are not going to just walk out, you know, do all this for organic food, whatever it takes for them either special shopping at the shopping, you know, mall or whatever at Whole Foods, whatever. I mean, it's quite an adventure to try to get things organic or go to all the work to garden. They're not going to do that and then walk through a normal chemical American lawn landscape. Mm. You know, immediately people start looking around going, whoa, what? That doesn't make sense. How can we make this more natural or native? And then that leads directly to uh, wildflowers. And thinking about it because, and there's a lot of advertising out there, and that's one of the problematic things about the industry, I think. But anyway, I think there's been a huge growth in interest in wildflowers simply because of that connection. Yeah. So, what are wildflowers? Well, you know, in a sense, wildflowers are flowers that we've either learned to leave out there in the wild. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think people forget that part of it. They're weeds, there are right. a lot of plants out there we do not want in our cities or our yards. And then um, on the other end of the spectrum are flowers that have just never been domesticated. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, we've been bringing, you know, plants in and hanging them since at least the hanging gardens of Babylon. I mean, you can go back, you know, three or 4,000 years and see evidence of, of people trying to beautify cities and, and, and with flowering plants that they found and domesticating them and selecting for them. And, and some of them we've just not done that to that are beautiful, that we really want, but we just never figured out how to get them to grow in captivity. So I think that, you know, what I'd like my students to understand from the beginning when they think about wildflowers is there's huge opportunity. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to be negative about it, but just remember that a, a lot of what we think are wildflowers, especially in the Western sense, are either really difficult to grow Mm -hmm. or they're weeds. And there's a lot to learn about them before you plant them. Right. So the thing that we don't want to do is just say, oh, wildflowers, they're going to save us, which is what a lot of the advertising promotes. It, mm -hmm. it, it sort of kicks into some you know, uh, preconceptions we have, right? They're out there in the wild and they take care of themselves. Therefore, if I plant them in my yard, they're going to take care of themselves, right? <laughs> no maintenance. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, and I, that was actually on a, a, a product in the 90s and then into the 2000s by a company called Norm Thompson. It was called Meadow in a Can. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Remember everybody, it was the largest selling mail order product that year. I went to the wow. National Catalog Conference and that, they got the award for selling more of those than any other product. 
And it said, just sprinkle these anywhere and you'll never have to worry again. And you'll have beautiful rainbows of colors in your yard forever. And it's like, that's the, as, that's further furthest from the truth. First of all, there were weeds in there. And there's, I don't know, there's about 20 or 30 uh, states now that have noxious weeds on their list that came out of cans of wildflower seed. And, and you know, it's, it's complicated because those wildflowers are not weeds where they're native. Right. But they're, they become weeds if you take them to a new climate. And Norm Thompson was marketing to everybody in the country. And so some of those things ended up being really, things like bachelor's buttons, you know, end up being weedy and on noxious weed lists. Really? I know they are in Northern Idaho. And so, you know, that's one of the problems with them. So tonight, let's just talk about a few of the major, we don't have a lot of time, but we can talk about some of the major things you want to sort of understand and key up as you get into the wildflower world. So you won't make the mistakes that I made early on and that many people make when they first get into it. Great. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, you know, so I owned a small seed company for 28 years. We talk Mm -hmm. about that a lot on here. And about halfway through that 28 years, I, I did some, I was running numbers on my business. I was learning how to be a businessman by then and where are your sales coming from and what do they cost or whatever. And I was shocked when over half of my sales were wildflower seeds, wow. native grasses. And I did not start out to do that. I was selling vegetable seeds, you mm-hmm. know, for diversity to get people food. And yet my customers pulled me into wildflowers. They, as I said, they all wanted something in their yards as well as, you know, organic food. And so what I learned and what I'm going to relate or I have related already comes from that experience. People coming to me with questions over and over and over again. In fact, that wildflower handbook was written as a defensive measure. So I would never have to answer all those questions again. Nice. I just wrote down all the answers. And so mm-hmm. when people would um, call me up on the phone in those days before the internet, my small C company, that took a lot of time. So people yeah. call me up and I go, hey, listen, give me your name and address and I will send you this for free. Mm-hmm. Read it. And then if you have questions, you can I could help you. But you would get down the road. And so that's where yeah. that came from. And that's, that's kind of what I'm idea. Talking, talking about tonight. So, you know, just some uh, major things is that just remember, if you're destroying an area that's native or natural or stabilized landscape, wherever you move, and this happens a lot in the West when we build new homes, we get our ranch yet, right? We get our two acres and we put our home in the middle. Wait, we wait, use, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So what they do is they raise the property right and then they come back to you and they say how do we make it native again right wow and i and my answer in at least in the arid mountain west was uh we can't Mm -hmm. and i had some really high dollar clients this was after the dot-com boom who would come to me and say well bill we don't care what it costs we just want (laughs) we just want to put it back it's okay Mm -hmm. and i would say you don't understand it does it's not about money we just don't know we're talking about a complex biological problem with mm-hmm. trillions of variables. And left alone will naturally come back after 100, maybe 200 years. Some areas in the West that were destroyed by grazing never did come back. They wow. hit false plateaus. And yeah. so this, we're talking about a really serious thing here. So my first word of advice is before you dig up any ground or destroy anything, realize what you got. Because the moment you open up that soil, you're opening up Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. And what that means is a new plant succession will naturally start. And what's first in, in a plant succession, we call them the pioneers. Pioneers. Those are usually- Pioneer species. Yeah, we talk, go ahead. Those are usually the the really prolific weeds. Exactly. 
Yeah. We just create conditions for weeds. So now we're in a battle, right? And people have often been in that battle. And so what's their answer to it? Biocides, herbicides. Oh, I had so many people over the years tell me that they can't, you can't plant a wallflower garden unless you just kill everything first, right? We'll get rid of the weeds. What? Wow. And that, that's pretty standard with the people that raise properties before there's, you know, construction. Let's just kill everything. And the problem with that, Greg, is that herbicides destroy the soil flora oh, and yeah. fauna. Right. Right. That's where all the life is. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you destroy that? You open up Pandora's box for the weeds to come in. So yeah. people say, oh, I got rid of all the weeds. No, you just set the stage for all the weeds to come for decades. Yeah. That's what you're doing. So don't use chemicals. Right. That's just got to be one of the most important things to learn. And then one of the other misconceptions is that many people think that uh, wildflower seeds, because they're wild, right, are organic. Oh, yeah, I'm doing the right things. I planted wildflower seeds. And one of the things I it was horrific to discover in the wildflower seed industry is that all, I'm, you know, never say never, never say never and never say all, right? But I've never seen an example of commercially produced wildflower seed that has not been sprayed hugely. Wow. It's one of the most intensive uses of herbicides and pesticides and biocides there is. Mm -hmm. And there's a really good reason for that is that the standards by which people can sell wildflower seeds, and this applies to native grass seed, the allowance for noxious weed seed to be in that wildflower seed oh my gosh. is zero. And so if somebody's growing an acre of wildflower seeds, whatever it is, and there's one weed in there, and it gets, goes up, hides, goes to seed, and that seed is in that lot of uh -huh. an acre, and the state testers find that, throw it away. Game over. Game over. So dollar-wise, spray, 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 spray. Mm -hmm. Yet they can't afford not to. It's really, it's Armageddon is what it is. And so that, you know, and, and outside of commercially produced wildflower seed, there is actually very little wildflower seed available. Everything in that Norm Thompson can, meadow in a can, came from big commercial farms that were being herbicided. Mm -hmm. So, so wildflowers, unless somebody's actually going out and gathering them, gathering them, wildcrafting them, which we would assume are fairly organic out there. Well, that assumption needs to be questioned these days, too, because now the BLM and the Forest Service are, and the public uh, lands people controls in state lands. Mm -hmm. And even our national parks are some of the heaviest users of herbicides. Oh, Lord. And so you just got to ask. You got to know your <sighs> backyard. You got to know where you're going. If you want to stay away from chemicals or you have a real chemical sensitivity, these are just things that you should think about as you get into wildflower seeds. Now, that being said, I, you know, I grew up next to a 2 million acre national forest and less than one tenth of a percent of that was being sprayed. So yeah. generally it was fine, you know, to go out and do that. So great. So let, we got all the background information now. Right. Talk about the fun stuff. Well, the fun stuff is every flowering plant produces seeds. That's what flowers are for. Angiosperms. Mm. You know, what is it? Right. 130 million years ago, life itself complexified enough to have flowers, specialized mm -hmm. organs to attract pollinators, to help with sexual reproduction. I mean, it's hard to think about it, but they're, you know, 5 billion year old lifespan on our planet and only 130 million years ago, flowers showed up. I mean, they're mm -hmm. pretty new friends, basically. And every single one of them, everywhere you go, every time you see them has seeds. 
So if you're a wallflower seed person now with this knowledge, everywhere you go, you start looking, mm. right? Where every time you see flowers, you know that it's going to dry up and there'll be seeds in there. And you don't even have to know what the seeds look like. Sometimes you can just pull dried pods and dried matter and dried plant off. And you don't have to know what the plant is. You can plant it, do it in a controlled situation if you think it might be a weed. Mm -hmm. And it'll grow up and then you can identify it. You know, unfortunately, most of our taxonomy or our identification of flowers comes from the flowers. And so that kind of makes it hard. You know, something's ready to go to seed and you don't know what it is. Well, that never stopped me. I just collected those seeds, plant them. And then years later, sometimes it takes, they'll flower and then you can figure out what it is. And so just think about this in cycles and you can come into it at any point in the cycle. So that's number one trick. Just make yourself aware and then practice. Every time you take a walk in your neighborhood, nature walk in a park. I saw, you know, I collected plantain seeds coming up out of the sidewalk in a crack in New York City when I was there. Nice looking plant. And I wanted some. Plantain doesn't have a beautiful flower, but it is a wonderful medicinal to -hmm. have in your yard. Wham, grab some. Put in the always have your envelopes right on it where you are, when you got it, what your elevation is, Uh, those sorts of things. Uh What kind of the conditions are because you want to duplicate those. I mean, you don't want to duplicate the sidewalk ones, but if you're in the wild, you kind of want to know what it was like and then bring it home and plant it in your yard. And that's the best way to bring wildflowers into your yard over a a three to five to 10 to 15 to 20 year period. Mm -hmm. I was at Paniote Colitis's yard in Denver. He's the outreach coordinator for the Denver Botanical Gardens. And he used to be ahead of the Alpine Botanical Gardens there in Denver. And if you ever get a chance to go to Denver and see the Alpine Gardens, unbelievable. But at Pagnotti's home, I got to stay with him once. Mm-hmm. You walk out in his yard and it's all flowers. Oh, all, and I go, what is this? And he goes, well, this is four to 5,000 different species. And I said, wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Is Hold it on. four or is it five? <laughs> I mean, we're, ta- we're talking huge. He goes, I don't know. It's out of control. He goes, wow. everywhere I go, all over the world, I bring home a pocket of seeds and I plant them. And I've got stuff here from all over the world. And it would make you cry. There was stuff blooming all year long. He's at like 6,000 feet in Denver, harsh yeah. conditions. And yeah, and then he had hybrids of some of the things he brought from different parts of the world that had crossed that were creating new wildflowers. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. So that's what you want. That's my goal is every time you go out, grab some seeds, bring them home and plant them, plant them at the same time that they make the seeds, you know? So that would be another oh, thing. Right. People always say, when do you plant them? Plant them when they're natural, mimic nature as much as you can. Yep. If you get them in the shade, plant them in the shade. You get them in the spring, plant them in the spring. And now just make it easy for you. We really don't know as much as we think we do about gardening. We're just copying the masters. Copying nature. Copying nature. Wow. All right. So let's just say we go out for a walk somewhere. What I heard you say is take a pen, take your envelopes, yeah. and start noticing what plants are going to seed. That's right. Awesome. Start learning your local flora and start mm-hmm. bringing it home. And you can do this with trees and shrubs. You know, I... I've got friends that are tree seed people now. As they get older, I think that's what happens to you is, you know, the years start going by so fast. You go, you know, 20 years for a tree. That's not bad. I could right. do that. Seems like yesterday I was 55. Now I'm 75 or whatever. You know? <laughs> well, the nice thing for tree seeds, 
uh, I have a peach tree. I just ate a peach off of it today that uh, got planted in my front yard two years ago. Wow. And it's from seed to fruit in two years. That's like, wow. Yeah. And, you know, so here's another uh, hint for you out there. If you really like wildflower seeds is we need people gathering those seeds in every area of the country. Mm -hmm. We need 70,000 new botanists that even know how to identify plants just to save the plants that are going to go extinct before we oh, catalog yeah. them, mm -hmm. is what Paul Hawkins says. This is something, you want to save the world? Don't code. Learn <laughs> your backyard flowers yeah. and help save some of them and then make them available. People like Forrest Schomer, I've got a friend, and he's on the RockyMountainSeeds.org um, website in our seed socials. I interviewed him. He'd be a great interview for you. For 25 years, he's been gathering wildflower seeds and selling them himself in a oh, company, wow. company he calls Inside Passage. And that's all he does is hand collect and sell. It's, wow. a, it's a simple little website. It's really beautiful. He's a simple person. In mm -hmm. fact, he had a, he, somebody loved what he was doing, followed him around with their iPhone and did a little video of forest collecting and cleaning and bagging up wildflower seeds went viral 1.2 million views oh my god yeah it was great <laughs> yeah so we need four shomers everywhere to make available the local plants because no matter what you plant in your yard it will work best if it came local from the local and so and right. we, commercial wildflower seeds are never going to be able to do that first of all they're sprayed and second of all it's one size fits all mm -hmm. they're not your wildflowers yours are harder than that you need an expert locally to do that so if you're young and you want a great career Wow, get started. You know, you won't pay in the beginning, but you can go out every night after work and work on it. Yeah. Well, one other thing that usually comes up that I want to tell people is that this all being said, you know, the church of the native will not save us. You know, this is a permaculture idea also. Mm -hmm. In other words, people think that when they start landscaping locally or in their own yards, if they only use natives, they're going to be okay. That's all they have to do is just say, oh, is it native or not? And even though those are the best, and I've been talking about there, you know, remember there's no seed available, right? You know, you're going to have to go do it yourself. And most of our yards are going to look like deserts for a few years until we do this because they take a number of years. The same thing that takes wildflowers lots of times, two to three to four years to actually get established and bloom is the thing that protects really? them for the next 50 years. They're hardy. They get oh, established, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so just remember that, you know, your lilacs, your peach tree, we, you know, we've got a lot of plants out there that are beautiful, that are not noxious weeds. They're mm -hmm. not even weedy, that bring us love and life and color and beauty and food that should probably be in our yards now, too. We need to figure out what those are, where we are. And that's permaculture, yeah. right? We need to build our own new guilds and feed ourselves, food forests. So, you know, just don't go off on the deep end on this stuff, because I've had friends do that, too. And I remember what I was going to say earlier. We don't want to go harvesting wildcrafting seeds and take them all, though. No. That's important. Talk about that, would you? Well, yeah, great question. That's part of what you'll go through naturally. If you start doing this, you're, you will feel guilty. If you have any empathy in your, mm -hmm. in your bones at all, you'll feel guilty well, about I it. I felt because that you're, before. Yeah, yeah you've taken, you're taking something. Well, let me put it in. The, so let me, all I can do is chronicle what I went through over 28 years. First of all, I never touched more than half the plants that I was around. I never took seeds from if there was only a small patch, only when there was large amounts of them. And then I was only half. And then after a while, I got more humble and said, you know, we don't even deserve half. Right. So I never touched more than a third. Yeah. That was, that was me. And that's what I came to. 
Well, and and then what grow, I realized, Ryan, if you're going to grow them out, though, well, excuse me, you only need three or four seeds. Oh, man, they, it is such a productive system. Yeah, go. I'm I, sorry. I stood and looked at a penstemon plant once in, in arid Idaho that had produced, it looked like a half a million seeds. Oh. One plant. And then you look around, there aren't a half a million of those penstemons growing in Idaho. Mm-hmm. So it's overproducing. So uh, the birds get some, the bugs get some, even the ground squirrels probably. It's an incredibly productive system. But that's why you never touch more than a third of mm-hmm. what's going on. Just take a few. And then if you think about it, you are becoming part of the process, right? The reason they have flowers is that things will come and get them, <laughs> you know, and right. take them away in a lot of cases. You know, the, uh, the term, botanical term is dehist, spread the seeds out. So you're one of the spreaders. And guess what? You're spreading them into the human system. And that means not, not as many herbicides, right? Because all this is going to end up in our yards. And we're going to help the pollinators. It's pollinator month or pollinator week, right? It's all helping. If we do this, we're going to use less chemicals. We're going to grow fewer lawns. We're going to make more places that are native in our cities so that everybody that needs those can find them. So you're actually being part of this process. And after a while, well, I can tell you practically, I went back to the same places for 20 years with really fragile wildflowers that I collected seeds from. And I can't tell you that I saw any difference. They were all still there or even more abundant 20 years later than when I started. I do not believe I had an impact. Now, 20 years in nature is a really short space, (laughs) right? but 20 years is 20 years. So I'll just leave it at that. I think we're doing everybody, a, you know, giving everyone and the planet included a gift. If we're mindful, we're careful, mm-hmm. we're humble, you know, and we do it well. And, and those things all come to mind when I think of Forrest Schomer. The whole process has made him that way. It, it made me that way more from when I started. So, yeah. so the Wildflower Handbook, you said something before we started recording that this is the best what? Well, there's some charts, planting charts in there mm-hmm. with information, you know, spacing and when you plant things and when you can expect them to come and, uh, you know, the colors and all sorts of all the data I had, I arranged into a spreadsheet basically mm-hmm. for, I don't know how many, there's 40 or 50 wildflowers on there. And it took me 20 years to do that. It looks like a cute little short chart, but I just saw it for the first time in a few years the other day. And it's breathtaking. I, I could never do that now. I think of the thousands of hours it took for me to put that together. I just, yeah. it's unbelievable that that stuff's there. And so I think if, I think you'll find that this will get you, whatever part of this you want to get into, whether you're a professional working for one of the agencies, mm-hmm. if you're listening to me, if you're a professional botanist and you're working for an agency, especially in the Western United States, this will help you. This was, this, this was all, all this information was gathered and put together over a 28 year period by somebody trying to pay attention outside of academia. So I didn't get pigeonholed around specific projects. I just did the flowers that were there for people who could use them now. Yeah. You just don't see that kind of information anywhere. Nice. Well, and I want to go back to my question for you. And before we started recording, you said this was the best document of this kind that you've ever seen. Oh, there's nothing close. There could be documents that are this good from other areas, mm-hmm. but I did this for the arid mountain West. So I've never seen one. 
Nice. You know, and I keep looking, and that doesn't mean this past year there hasn't been one. And there are now native seed conferences, and there's lots of people. The problem with the conferences that I found that are coming out of academia and the agencies, I call them the BLM and the Forest Service. Well, there's mm-hmm. a couple. One is that, you know, agency people never get a stay in one forest district or on mm. one national forest very long or one national park. They're rotated around. And so I got to stay there for 28 years. You know, that was my job. And so I ended up, you know, there we'd get the new botanist and I'd roll my eyes because it would take them about five years just to get up and running. Oh, wow. With the, and then they're gone, transferred yeah. out again, right? And then the people in academia, in order to get your master's or whatever, you had to pick a really specific topic, you know, to get to do your research on. And it's really important stuff. I'm not, you know, it is, and I'm glad they're there doing it, but it had nothing to do with permaculture oriented people in their yards trying to grow more, you know, food and beauty without using chemicals. It just had little or nothing to do with that. So for this, for those sorts of things, this chart's pretty good. Cool. So give me uh, in a nutshell what it is. Well, as I said, it came out of a need. I was a single person running a seed company Mm -hmm. and I didn't have time to spend on the telephone answering questions before the internet. Once the internet came, you know, it made it even easier. And so originally I just put together this to answer questions about wildflowers, wildflower seeds, gathering wildflowers, how to plant them. I tried to orient people and answer all their questions. Mm-hmm. That's where this came from. This I didn't make this up. This is all of the questions that people ask me over a 20 year period. Like what? Like stratification. <laughs> you know, that's a really great question. <laughs> Here I'm talking about it so much. I'm so close to it. I can't uh, hear Can't it. remember. That's all right. Stratification. Life no, uh, I'm just going to pull it up and look, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, stratification is what you have to do to get wildflower seeds to germinate. Some uh, of them, if they're collected in cold areas where there's mm-hmm. snow, have learned not to germinate unless there's cold first. Uh, Otherwise, Indian summer would kill them every year. They don't have calendars and windows. They're not going, oh, no, it's only November 1st. We shouldn't germinate. They only know to go through a long, cold winter before they germinate. So stratification Mm -hmm. duplicates that, you know. I talk about the easiest wildflowers to grow. If you're going to get into this and you want to have success, which ones are easy that aren't weedy? Oh, right. And aren't difficult to grow, right? There are some for everybody. So focus on those first. That's It talks about that a lot. You know, what is, a, and that came out of the discussion, what is a wildflower? I talk about succession. Sometimes people want to have a yard that looks uh, like a certain way, like a native way. But if you got all the seeds to those natives and planted them, it would never do that. You have to plant the pioneer species that will evolve, fix nitrogen, change things, maybe give you some shade. Then mm-hmm. you can put the other natives in and they'll work. And so learning how to think along those lines, you can't have, it's not instant gratification. I had so many people call me over the years that wasted money. I saw a $380,000 project in my hometown to beautify the roadsides, waste almost all the money because they did a survey of all the natives that were growing there and they, got, uh-huh. they bought all the seed for $300,000 and planted it all and none of it worked. And oh, I, I tried to tell them it wasn't gonna work. But you know what happened, Greg? 10 years later, the people that did that project for the Idaho Road Highway Department were gone. 
I couldn't find anybody in the department. Anybody had anything to do with that original con. They're all gone somewhere else, working for somebody else, retired or whatever. 10 years later, boom, Pensaman <laughs> bloomed. Oh, it was a spectacular success. But it, it failed for nine years, every year, nothing. And then boom. That and that's an example of what, you know, yeah. so I talk about that. You've got to be a little bit patient about some of this stuff. Well, and one of the things, interestingly, something happened to me in the yard today. I have carrots that are going in, going to seed. Right. And carrot seeds are sticky, right? Well, yeah. Well, they've got the little, you know, they grab onto each other. Right. Yeah. So I leaned into one of my peach trees oh, and no, came no. out and down the front of my shirt yeah. were all these carrot seeds that were stuck yeah. in my shirt. Yeah. Now you know how it works. Right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. And and that's that's wild seeds as well as you know. Well, carrots are a wild seed in a sense. Yeah. Dacus carota. It's the same exact species as Queen Anne's lace, and that is a noxious weed in some states. <laughs> right. You, it's illegal for you to plant Dacus carota, but they sell and people all the time grow carrots, which is Dacus carota. carota. I, you know, get <laughs> try to figure that out. So you know, the, the other thing in that a handbook t- it talks about watering them. How to weed them, when to plant them, those sorts of the practical stuff to get you up and running. Again, this this came from questions from people that wanted to get into wildflowers. So, yeah. so and we're if you want a copy of it, we're including it in all of our orders of on your on greatamericanseedup.org. So go there and we'll with your order you'll get a copy of this. Great. And well, we've talked about the Great American Seed Up. That's just a great way to get you know farm direct seed. For as cheap as we can put it together to get it to you. That's really all we've tried to do because we want you to grow and save seeds. You know, we're starting in, we started in Phoenix, right? The least sustainable city in the world. (laughs) Uh, There's a book about that. There's a book about that. You know, I know that that's the title of a book. Yeah, actually. But so how many people have, have gotten their seeds through the great American seed up in the Phoenix area over the years now, do you think? How many people have come through that program? 4,000. Yeah, that may, you know, how do you change a city? I don't know. Maybe getting 4,000 more people to grow and save seeds is a start. Amen to that. Yeah. And we do pollinator seeds. And so that's, you can go there and get some, you know. Perfect. And those pollinators uh, came out of my experience and they're the ones that'll be easy for you that are not weedy. Mm -hmm. That's all we're selling in there. Should double check because I don't know where all you might be. I mean, if you're in Hawaii, or in Samoa or somewhere, you know, you better check. Yeah, because lots of things can be weedy there. But for the arid mountain west, you'll be fine with these and you'll get some satisfaction out of them, I'm sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. And we'll catch you guys next month. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. 
Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.